listening to Redeemer Church of Denton's sermon audio. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit us online at RedeemerDenton.com. All right. So throughout the year, um, the priests, they'd be making tons of sacrifices. Like this was their day job. They'd wake up, they'd go, and then they'd have like a great like nine to five going, slaughtering animals, pouring blood all over the place. You know, like the typical, like everyone's dream job, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but uh, all these uh, sacrifices, they actually were a little bit um, unique in that they actually didn't cover uh, these specific sins that like, oh, well, I like did this the other day. It's like, no, they covered only unintentional sins. Uh, so this is something like whenever you go to the like bank or to like an office or something and like you sign a paper and then like later on and like you accidentally take home the pen or you're out like you're looking for a new car, you're taking one for a test drive uh, and then absentmindedly kind of drive that car home and then, yeah. All right, I, I think from the last, most of y'all don't relate with uh, stealing the test, the test drive car, so that's a good thing. Um, um, but this is kind of what this would be covering. These sins that we commit and then later on we realize or someone brings to our attention. And so it's not a sin that we willingly committed. Um, and actually, um, there wasn't really any pr- uh, provision for these sins. Numbers uh, speaks to, intentional, un, uh, to unintentional sin in chapter 15, uh, but then it takes a turn in verses 30 to 31 to address the intentional sins. And it says, but the person that does anything with a ha- high hand or defiantly, whether he is a native or a sojourner, re- uh, reviles the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be utterly cut off, and his iniquity shall be on him. So this sheds some light on what happens for those who shed intentionally. Uh, essentially, in the normal day-to-day sacrifices, there's no provision um, for them to become clean. There's no way for them to be washed of their sin. Um, now, if you're listening carefully, you might say, all right, so we have an intentional sin that we find out about. We have this intentional sin. What about the unintentional sins that we don't find out about? Um, so we have at least two categories, these unintentional sins that uh, just kind of get lost or forgotten, and then the sins that we actually uh, commit in defiance. So thankfully, God, he said, hey, like we're going to give a, a provision for this. And this is what uh, Leviticus 16 is. It's the Day of Atonement. This was performed once a year, by the high priest, and this was the day to wash all, um, all the sins of the nation. Um, so here, uh, if we look, actually I'm gonna dive into uh, the back half of this chapter, and starting in verse 29, to get kind of an idea of what this day of atonement was, and then we're gonna circle back uh, to the beginning of the chapter. All right, so starting in verse 29, it says, and it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the day, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves, or you shall fast, and shall do no work, either, in the, na- either the native 
or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It's a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as a priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did this as the Lord commanded. Uh, so, if you really think about it, this is a very significant day. This was the most important day in the life of Israel. And it wasn't necessarily the happiest day because as we read, a lot of the day was spent fasting and kind of in repentance and just being reminded of their utter sinfulness. Um, but there is also this joyful side of it that all the sins of the people are being cleansed. Uh, so let me read for you again uh, verse 30. It says, For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. So all the sins. This is covering not just the sins that were already covered in the uh, other 360 days of the year um, with for those unintentional sins that were found out. This also covered all the sins that uh, were committed willful, willfully or um, defiantly. This covered all the unintentional sins that weren't brought to light. Um, this covered all sins, big and small. And so um, I want to kind of take a moment to consider uh, maybe the willful sins as an example of just how sinful uh, we as people are and why we have this need for atonement. Uh, so I think a really helpful way to kind of understand this, and I'm not even talking about like the big sins, but just think about this, like the small sins. Uh, so if you... Uh, this is experience I know that we all have uh, because we're sinners, but if you think of the picture of a parent and a child, you have uh, this young child who, uh, growing up, they quickly learn that they can't act out in great acts of disobedience or defiance against their parents uh, because then there's going to be consequences that follow. Um, but still, we have this in our heart that we want to defy our parents. We want to claim autonomy for ourselves. And so what do we do? Um, we kind of find the line and we just cross it a little bit. And we do that a few times and nothing really big, but it's like, hey, don't, don't poke your brother. Don't, don't like get that cookie or whatever. Um, say please, say thank you. And we willingly make these small acts of disobedience knowing that parents are gonna kind of maybe not like act out on it because it's not such a big deal. Um, and I think that in the same way in our lives, in our ever so vast wisdom, we're, we think we're smarter than God and we're like, hey, God, I know you're busy with all the big sins over there. You're not gonna care about like the small sins and you're not gonna care about me kind of reclaiming this small uh, piece of command over my life, a small act of autonomy, which is really an act of uh, cosmic rebellion because what we're doing is we're committing this treason against God. Um, and I think that whenever we do this, we really, really fail to realize um, how foolishly it is that we try to command our own lives uh, because whenever we're trying to do this, one, God actually does 
notice all these things and it keeps record of it. And two, in trying this little experiment, we're actually uh, committing the sin of uh, where Deuteronomy 6.16 says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Well, what are we doing? We're putting the Lord God to our test. So nice try, but uh, if you hadn't sinned yet, there you go. That's already, um, that's, that's, that's the black mark on your record. Uh, you're done there. Um, and so, by, by the way, we do a really uh, similar thing, I think, whenever we commit habitual sins. And by this, I mean we make excuses for our sinful nature. Um, we often try to soften the cosmic rebellion against God by labeling these sins as habitual. And we say, all right, well, I can't really help but do it. Um, and man, like, how right are we? <laughs> we really can't uh, commit these sins. Like, it's just in our nature. Uh, there's nothing that we can uh, do about it. Um, and whenever we do this, we, uh, we're just like burying our hearts open and we're revealing the root of unwillingness in our hearts to part with his habitual sin. So it's not really a habitual sin, it's just a sin that I want to keep in the habit of doing. Now, we can continue exploring our depravity much further, and I think it's worthwhile doing so, um, but I do want to get on to the point of uh, the priesthood and how Christ is a better priest. Uh, so here's my last and final thought on uh, just depravity. We're sinners, God is holy. The Bible makes it absolutely clear that God cannot allow sin and evil in his presence. God is holy, 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 and a sinner is a sinner is a sinner. And were it not for the rich grace and mercy of God, the last line of today's message would be, and never the twain shall meet. Thankfully, God did provide um, the day of atonement and later on the better atonement of Christ. And so let's look then uh, at what the high priest had to do on the day of atonement. We're going to circle back to verse 1 and uh, read through verse 10. The Bible says, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat, but in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which a lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering, but the goat on which a lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, and it may be sent away in the wilderness to Azazel. So we see um, just uh, in the set of these instructions that this is highly important to follow. Um, the preparations are done by Aaron, uh, who's the original, the first high priest who was the first one to hear these instructions and to carry them out. Um, it already kind of demonstrates like, hey, this is gonna be a long job. 
so first he has to bathe himself as both a physical purification but also a symbolic purification. Uh, it's symbolizing that he's washing away uh, the sins that he's carrying in uh, to the tent of meeting. Uh, then he has to wear special linen garments that he only wore um, this one day every year. Um, and this was different from the garments that he normally would use. Um, and so he has to put these on. Then he has to go prepare a bull and a ram to sacrifice for himself and his household, further uh, purifying himself just to get ready for the job. Then he also gets to sacrifice um, a ram for Israel and prepare two goats. And these two goats are kind of the star of the show. Um, so if you want a way to get famous, maybe find a gig as like a goat in a movie or something. I don't know, but they made it. They're famous. That's awesome. Um, but the ultimate point of the two goats is uh, the first one, uh, we, we cast lots uh, for them. And the priest, he would say, all right, you, you were chosen to be sacrificed. You're dead. Um, the other one was to be sent away until the wilderness, which at the end of the day probably wasn't much better than being sacrificed. Um, uh, but the goat that's uh, slain is representative of the nation of Israel and their sins. So the priest would lay a hand on the head of this goat uh, and transfer the sins of the people onto it and then kill it, pour its blood out, and uh, burn the fat. And this was uh, like the ultimate sin sacrifice for the nation of Israel to, or to cleanse them of all their sins. And then the second goat that was sent to the wilderness um, was also uh, had the, the priest also laid his hand on it and transferred the sins of the people onto the goat. And then that was sent out to the wilderness and this was uh, a symbolic representation of the sin of Israel being purged and sent out from the nation. So they are now clean. The sin has now been driven out from them. Um, now, a quick side note on the word Azazel. Uh, in y'all's uh, translations, it might say scapegoat. Um, just, uh, this is like a kind of weird, confusing thing. Uh, scholars have gone back and forth on this, and I only want to mention it because y'all might uh, run across uh, someone who is a small group of people, but they kind of take some really weird conclusions from this. Um, so Azazel, it only appears four times in the whole Bible. All four of them are like in the, like this small section of uh, Leviticus 16. And there's confusion because we don't really know what the word means. And so uh, traditionally it has been translated scapegoat, um, but there's some who say that it's actually a proper name. That's either a location or the name of a demon or even another name for Satan or a evil deity. Um, now that I would say is kind of the weirder stuff and the people who make the weird conclusions, one of the weird things that they make is they say, oh, well, if this is the name of demon, that means that uh, the Bible's supporting the fact that Israel worshiped different gods or they at least had to pay tribute to like a different God. That's completely wrong. That Bible teaches that there's only one God um, and that is uh, our Lord. Uh, the other uh, interpretations that I would say probably make more sense, you don't really have to jump uh, through as many hoops, is that um, they kind of just use the language and the context of the chapter, which frankly, if you're trying to figure out what something means, the best strategy is to use the immediate context of where you're finding that in. I think that's obvious, but uh, some scholars would disagree with me on that. Uh, anyways, uh, they would say that the word Azazel means scapegoat or goat to be sent away uh, or destruction. I think that this is probably a better direction to go 
as far as translating this. And um, that's all I really want to make a note on that. If you're curious to learn about some more of what scholars said, I have resources. And you want to ask me any questions, feel free to talk to me after the sermon. Um, uh, but getting back on track now, um, these first 10 verses, they kind of give a summary of the high priest's works. And then verses 11 through 28 give a more detailed account of what the high priest has to do on the Day of Atonement. So this is what I want to look at next, paying special attention to kind of the hints that the Bible gives us of the uh, inherent shortcomings and of the priests and of this system. Um, there's a lot of red flags that kind of remind us that this high priest who is a mediator um, for the nation of Israel is at the end of the day just a man who's just as sinful as any of the people were. Uh, but before we note in or dive in, I want to note a couple things. Um, first, that some of the items and details that we saw in the first ten verses they're not repeated in the rest of the chapter, and that's because Leviticus 16 isn't necessarily uh, laid out in a strictly chronological order. So hopefully, um, this will make the passage a little more clear. But I'm just going to give like a quick bullet point list that I made of all the steps that we see. Uh, in the chapter, and then we can dive into this. Uh, so bear with me for just a second. So as they appear in the chapter, these are the different steps that the high priest must do. So he must choose and bring a bull and a ram for himself and his household, bathe, put on the special garments, receive two goats and a ram from Israel, prepare the goats and cast lots for them, choosing which one to be sacrificed and which one's the scapegoat, present the bull as a sin offering, Make a smokescreen with coals and incense. Sprinkle the bull's blood in front of the mercy seat. Kill the goat chosen for sacrifice. Sprinkle the goat's blood in front of the mercy seat. Sprinkle the bull's and goat's blood on the horns of the altar. Prepare the living scapegoat. Send that scapegoat away, led by a helper. Take off and store linen garments and bathe. Uh, offer the rams as burnt offerings. Complete this in offerings by, uh, by burning the bull's and the goat's fat. The guy who took the scapegoat then returns. He washes his clothes. He bathes, uh, and then he um, gets a couple of homies to go get the animals that were sacrificed, dispose of their carcasses. Lastly, those who dispose of the animals, they come back, wash their clothes, and then bathe, and they're finally able to re-enter the camp. Uh, so there is a quiz on this uh, between the second and third song, so I hope you were paying. No, I'm just playing. Um, but hopefully... After all that, you're still with me. Um, if you completely checked out during that, we're about to walk through this a little bit slower um, and look at kind of the inherent shortcomings in this system. So we already saw that the high priest uh, has to wash himself and purify himself. Uh, he then puts on the special linen garments, uh, but uh, he, before putting that on, he has to bathe himself. So he, has, he has to put on special undergarments so that way his sinful um, body is not touching the holy garments. So there's even like this barrier between him and like these special garments that are supposed to also protect him from uh, like his sinfulness and separate him from the holiness of God. Um, so this first step already demonstrates the impurity and sinfulness even of the high priest. And uh, if there's anyone that's to be considered uh, holy, it's this guy. He's the one who's constantly doing God's work, again, like making these sacrifices is nine to five. He's always making prayer, intercession, confessing sins before God. Uh, yet at the end of the day, uh, most of the stuff that he has to do on the Day of Atonement isn't so much making the atonement, but it's just preparing him, making sure that he's clean to perform like the one task. And then like preparing him and cleaning himself up to be able to return back to the camp uh, 
untarnished. Uh, so let's continue then uh, looking at verse 11. Uh, and as we just read through this, I'll be making uh, just comments kind of on what uh, we can observe here. So Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. He shall take a censer for the coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense of the fire before the Lord uh, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger out on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in the front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. All right, so a long uh, to-do list already. None of it really having necessarily to pertain to uh, the sacrifice for atonement. We first see that before he can even make the sacrifice for the people, he has to make a sacrifice for himself and his household to be cleansed. Uh, then he can't even come into the presence of God truly. He has to uh, take these coals and the incense and burn it so that it creates a smoke screen. They, um, one actually physically is a smoke screen between the shining presence of God that was uh, what we call a theophany or a physical manifestation of God's glory that sat in the, on the mercy seat. And so this was to kind of dim the light that was coming out, keep him alive, uh, quite literally keep him alive so that way he wouldn't be overwhelmed by the shining light. Uh, and then it also symbolically uh, was a reminder of like his separation and how his sin separates him from the holy God. Then uh, we have where he's uh, killing uh, the bull and he takes the blood to sprinkle on the mercy seat and, uh, or before the mercy seat and then uh, around it. And this is to cleanse the actual objects that are to be used for the ceremony. So um, the objects were actually considered unclean just because they were in the midst of a sinful people. Uh, so he's preparing himself because he's sinful. He's preparing the objects because of the sinfulness of the people that surround them. So continuing in verse 15, it says, then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling over the mercy seat in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel, because of their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly. So go and pause right there real quick because there's uh, more, more items on that to-do list still dealing with just cleansing. Uh, so for the sake of the people, he also has to take their goat. He has to cleanse uh, the objects that are there because of the people's sin. Uh, and if you... Uh, took note, he's doing this completely by himself. So not only does he have to be super clean, but he is the only person that's allowed to be in there uh, just because we can't risk uh, having someone else that's unclean there or someone that will uh, mess us up or between in the interaction of two people uh, that there would be some, uh, like some opportunity for uncleanness or sin to be caused between them. So I hope that is kind of like just tedious kind of as it is to like read through this and uh, maybe even 
for some of us as dry as it is, that we see that just this monotony and this repetition of you have to get clean, you have to get clean, you have to get clean, really drives home the point of the utter sinfulness of man and of the priests and the shortcomings of this system. Uh, this system was built with so many checks in place just to make sure that the priest was able to do his work. So continuing then, verse 18, after he's done this, then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. So he's cleansing even uh, the altar for sacrifice. Um, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the altar of, for the holy place and the tent of meeting of the altar, he shall present the live goat. So finally, after all this cleaning, all this uh, ritual cleansing, he can finally get around to actually doing what he has been hired to do. Uh, I mean, if, if y'all work, sometimes you, this is like the, uh, the Outbox or Outlook inbox in the morning, you know, like you have to get through. Th this is pretty much it, but just like in a more like bloodier sense. Um, <laughs> so going on then, uh, it says, so in verse 20, and he has made an end of t uh, and made an end of atoning for the holy place, and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of their goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Um, so here we see that he has to temporarily um, kind of leave the tent of meeting, or at least take the goat to the uh, opening of the tent of meeting, and give it to probably a priest who's out there waiting to help. Uh, and this is, again, the goat that's had the hands laid on him to transfer the sins of the people uh, out. So again, all this ritual cleansing leading up to a specific uh, ritual cleansing. Uh, we first have to, or the priest first has to go through uh, just all these preparations so he, and all these sacrifices for this one um, important sacrifice and this one driving away of a goat. Uh, so continuing then in verse 23, Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he has put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there and he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And who who lets the, the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and afterward he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement for the holy place shall be carried outside the camp their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. So the majority of Leviticus 16, again, is this setup, and we have just a few verses where we actually see the true um, point of the day uh, being made, and that's that we have the goat that's slain for the sins of the people, and the goat that... Um, has to be sent out representing the purging of sin from the nation. Uh, but then even after all this work is done, the day's not over, you have to go. Uh, he has to finish making the sin sacrifice that's like an 
afterthoughts and sacrifice for the rest of the people. Uh, and then everyone that's involved, again, has to wash their clothes and they have to bathe. Uh, they have to remove all the carcasses because this uncleanliness and this sin can't be in the presence of a holy God. And so every single detail in Leviticus 16 points to the stark difference between the holy God and sinful people and the fact that the two cannot be in the presence of each other. Um, so one way that, uh, if this was still confusing for you, uh, one way that I kind of visualize this is if you ever worked like uh, in a hospital or uh, in a science lab, or you've just even seen this maybe in a movie or a show where uh, you have like these, like either a patient that's sick with something that like is very contagious or you're working with like a, a chemical or material specimen that can't uh, come into contact with anything else. People who whenever they get ready for this, they have to go, they have to actually like wash themselves. Then they like go into like this hazmat suit kind of thing. And then because their hands probably didn't get perfectly clean from washing, that hazmat suit, because they touch it, then has to like be like sprayed with like the sanitizers. Uh, they go into like this chamber that separates the lab from the outside. Uh, the chamber like has like these UV lights to kill like any last germs or like um, um, imperfections that were left on the suit. And then they can finally go in and do their job. So uh, this is kind of what's happening here, but just at a more uh, a bigger and honestly grave scale. Um, and so there's so much complexity in this. And I think that uh, this really drives the point home that this wasn't the perfect system and it wasn't ran by perfect people. Um, so actually this uh, whole system wasn't actually ever planned to be a permanent solution. Uh, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 32 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. The author of Hebrews comments on this passage in Hebrews 8, uh, 13, basically saying that this statement makes the old co uh, covenant obsolete. And this brings me to my next point. This isn't merely a priestly problem, it's a sin problem, it's a man problem. We can obtain ultimate uh, salvation through a man-managed system. So uh, look again at verse one. It, we see the, the Lord speaking to Moses after the death of uh, the two sons of Aaron. So this kind of gives some context to like the chronology of when these instructions were given, but also highlights the fact of um, this previous occasion where two of the sons of Aaron, um, they came into the holy place to give an, authorized, an unauthorized sacrifice uh, to the Lord. And basically God's perfect and honestly righteous reaction was to instantly kill them for the sin. Uh, unapologi unapologetically, it, um, he's like, sorry, you messed up. Yeah, you're getting the hammer. Um, but again, these might be some people that we might usually consider as maybe evil priests or corrupted. Uh, but let's take a look at a holy priest. Um, look at Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. He was a faithful priest. Luke tells us um, that he was righteous and blameless before God, uh, that him and his wife even, uh, that they didn't transgress any of the commandments. Uh, the man also knew his scriptures, and he knew the story of Abraham and Sarah, 
in the power of God and how when God promised Abraham and Sarah a child in their old age, after the age of childbearing, that that came to pass. Um, but then whenever an angel of the Lord came with uh, God's message saying, hey, you and your wife are gonna conceive a child, he laughed. And in Luke 1.20, the angel tells Zechariah that he will be unable to speak until the birth of John because he didn't believe in the Lord's message. So this holy, upright, before the eyes of God, righteous man, um, even he was sinful. Uh, this model high priest, even he uh, had this imperfection. And again, this isn't a priest problem, a man problem. So a couple quick examples of um, people who weren't priests but who had uh, sin in their lives uh, and gave sacrifices to God. Um, so for example, the first murderer, we have Cain. He tried to bring an offering to God, not out of the first fruits of his harvest, but he picked and chose what he thought were the best fruits. He tried to bring God his best uh, man-centered effort. Um, and yet despite his, all his intentions, this was wrong, this was sinful and God did not favor his offering. Um, and so obviously God doesn't favor his offering, so we already can tell that there's a problem here. If we don't uh, clue into the fact that there's a problem, uh, maybe we're clued into it by the fact that he then takes his jealousy and his rage. Um, he takes it out by killing his younger brother. And after the fact, I suppose he kind of realized, oh, that probably wasn't such a good idea after all. Um, God punished him and anyways, there's his sin on display recorded in the first pages of scripture for all humanity to look back on now. Um, not a very good legacy. Another example, a uh, more positive example, maybe of Abraham, uh, the father of our faith. Uh, he, we see him at different times giving sacrifices to God, but at the same time we also see him falling short of, um, of God. For example, whenever he uh, goes uh, into the city and he tells his uh, wife, hey, you're very beautiful and they're going to kill me uh, just so that way um, the king here is going to kill me so he can marry you. So let's come up with this lie so that way we can save both our necks. Uh, puts her in a pretty bad situation. Thankfully, God comes and saves, uh, saves him. Uh, but at the end of the day, even Abraham, this holy man to whom righteousness was credited because of his faith in God's promises, uh, even this man was sinful. Uh, but then what about us? We're also sinners, and if we can't see that for ourselves, let's at least have the sense to believe what the Bible says about us. Uh, in Romans 3.23, it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we aren't holy, and this is why the old sacrificial uh, and priestly system failed. The annual Day of Atonement um, eventually just became a routine uh, for the people of Israel. Um, it became something was, that was very mechanical. Their hearts weren't in it anymore. Um, and rather than it being a reminder for them of their sinfulness, the consequences of that, and the promise for blessing if they repent from their sin, it just became another thing that they do and their hearts actually got hardened. Um, and this, their hearts were hardened so much to the point that God's presence actually left them. Uh, and the ritual, long before the ritual even stopped, Hosea, uh, in Hosea 6, 6, God says to them, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Listen to also what God says in Isaiah 1, 11. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and of the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. And then in verses 16 and 17, he says, um, 
wash yourselves. This is what he wants. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case. God demands perfection, not just this mechanical ritual. We can't meet the standard of God's perfection. And at the end of the day, neither will um, we find the salvation in a human-ran uh, system. It won't suffice. We need a better priest. And thank God we do have a better priest in Jesus. And I wish I could dig into uh, the truth uh, that is just all over the, the words of Leviticus 16 about Christ being a better sacrifice. Um, but I'll leave that for whenever we go back into our study of uh, Hebrews 8 is, uh, that theme is picked up in chapter 8. Um, but I hope that the, all the points shared today point us to the realization of our need for Jesus and his superiority as a priest. I want to quickly share a few verses that highlight this. Um, uh, and this is a very, very small portion of all the truths of the New Testament that speak to the better character of Jesus and how he's a better high priest. But here's just five quick ones. 1 Peter 2.22, Jesus was sinless. John 10.17, Jesus sacrificed himself. He didn't just go and sacrifice an animal. Hebrews 7.25, Jesus saves completely and eternally those who are saved through him, and he is constantly interceding for them. Hebrews 4.14-16, Jesus lived as a man, and he overcame temptation that we cannot overcome. Because of that, he can sympathize with our weakness. So we have a sympathetic high priest. And then John 1, 1, Jesus is the perfect and the holy God. And he is the one that we have as a high priest. Unlike the sinful priests, Jesus was without sin. His death on the cross didn't have to be repeated every year. It was a once and for all sacrifice. Um, he truly lived a, sin, a sinless life. He defeated death, which the old priests, uh, none of them are walking around today, so they couldn't even do that. And now he sits at the right hand of God, and he continuously, um, continues this, or continuously uh, practices this uh, work as our mediator for all eternity. And so in light of all these truths, uh, looking at the, our sinfulness, the fact that nothing that we can do, no system that we manage can bring us to salvation, it's only through Christ. Uh, before I close in prayer, I wanted to leave you all with uh, these five things to take away in light of all of these truths. First, be soberly humbled by your sin and your utter inability to save yourself from God's wrath. Be soberly, soberly humbled by your sin. Second, give thanks, glad thanks, and joyful praise to Christ and the Father for graciously providing a way for us to be saved through his sacrifice and his priestly ministry. Third, boldly enjoy fellowship with the Father. Now that we've, had, that we've been saved and that we've been cleansed through the better sacrifice and we're being ministered through the better priesthood of Christ, we can now enter boldly into the presence of the Lord. He now listens to our prayers. He delights to call us his children and to invite us into his presence, and what a glorious truth that is. Fourth, repent of your sin and rebellion and accept the work that Christ has done so that you can be saved. And if, if this is something that you're like on the fence about or you've 
you just keep putting off or something that maybe you're hearing for the first time, strongly urge you there's no other way that you can obtain salvation except through the work and the ministry of Christ Jesus. So repent of your sin and accept him. And then fifth, we just went through in these instructions of pretty tedious like steps for ultimately like to prepare two goats. Um, thankfully, we don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to invent ways or try to struggle and figure out a way to be right with God. We have the, the better priesthood of Christ. So share this good news with your friends and with your acquaintances. Not only are we commanded to share this, um, but how can we not be compelled by such a humbling and life-changing truth uh, that's brought us uh, from the domain of darkness into the domain of life? Not just life, but everlasting life that we can always be in the presence of, now, of our holy God and now be consider ourselves holy. Like, what's holding us from sharing that with the world? Um, but just pr uh, as we close in prayer today, I just want to leave you all with that and just, I just give it to God and to Christ to work through the Spirit and do whatever he will with today's message. Lord, I thank you so much today uh, for Leviticus 16 and as much as we try to sometimes avoid these more harder or confusing passages, God, um, I just thank you that you've shown us of the truth and the life that's given to us through these verses. Uh, the foreshadowing of Christ and the just uh, communicating to us the fact that we need something better than this old system. And I thank you so much that we do have that in Christ Jesus. And Lord, for that, I just ask that you help us to repent of our sins, to follow you, and to love you and to glorify you in everything that we say, that we think, and that we do, Lord. God, thank you again for the better priest that we have in Christ Jesus. It's in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and through the Spirit that I pray. Amen.